In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at the rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the star was, child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving and ever-present God, present in stars, present in stables, and God, yes, present in the hearts of all who claim you. We claim you today. We claim your presence in this place. And may your star shine its light into the very deepest parts of our souls this morning. And now, God, may the meditations, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts together be found acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. This story is universally known. We sang the story just a few minutes ago. We see it memorized, memorialized in nativity scenes. We've known this story all our lives. So what do we do this morning with the story? Do we focus on the journey? I love that the kids took a journey this morning. Do we focus on the star? Do we focus on Herod and his evil agenda? Do we focus on the identity of these wise men? Were they magicians or kings or wise men? Do we focus on where they came from? Did they come from Babylon or Persia or Saudi Arabia? This morning, I'd like for us to focus on one particular portion of the story. Really, just one word. In the Greek text, we see three occurrences of the word proskuneo. Our reading translated it, pay homage to. Proskuneo was commonly used for the image of 
prostrating oneself at the feet of a king. Think of the humility of that image. The emptying of pride and self. Kings literally laying on the ground, paying homage to the baby king. Their very journey was a humble act of sacrifice, a sacrifice of time, energy, and treasure. The opportunity to bow before this king had to have been the culmination of not just a physical journey, but a spiritual one as well. And their spirits led them to act on what had happened to them. They responded in action by humbling themselves and giving great gifts to this baby king. Christina Rossetti said it this way, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. Christina Rossetti understood proskuneo. To bow before a king, this king in particular, is to offer all that we are. Our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our bodies, our wills, and our actions. And even more, the wise men were acting on an expectation that was common in ancient Middle Eastern cultures. They were welcoming a king. Welcome or hospitality, was a fundamental value in the ancient world. It was an inhospitable region. They were surrounded by terrain that was rocky and difficult to navigate. It was scorching hot and devoid of water most of the year. There was no protection from thieves and robbers. People didn't just hop into their air-conditioned cars when they traveled. In the ancient world, especially in this desert region populated by nomadic tribes, hospitality was not only totally necessary, but a sacred duty. When a traveler was given hospitality, they came under the guaranteed protection of their host and provided cleansing for dusty feet, as well as food, shelter, security, and companionship. We also find welcome or hospitality emphasized throughout Scripture. It begins in Leviticus. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is typically used as a story condemning same-sex relationships, but it's actually about hospitality. The townspeople are condemned in this story for refusing to offer proper and expected welcome and care for the strangers visiting Lot and his family. The prophet Elijah received hospitality from the impoverished widow and her son. The prophet Elisha was so often hosted by a Shunanite woman and her husband, they actually built him his own room on the roof of their house. In the Gospel of Luke, the famous story of the Good Samaritan is all about showing hospitality 
to the stranger in your midst. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Romans, specifically calls for them to, quote, extend hospitality to strangers. And hear these words of Jesus from Matthew. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. The author and pastor and advocate and sociologist Tony Campolo tells this story about a time when he was in Hawaii speaking for a conference. He was bedeviled by jet lag and went out in the middle of the night when he couldn't sleep. Here are his words. Up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, and waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I didn't even touch the menu. The guy behind the counter came over and asked me, what'd you want? I said I wanted a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and then he grabbed a donut off the shelf behind him. As I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone, So what do you want from me? What, do you want me to make you a birthday cake? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. Then I called over the guy behind the counter, and I asked him, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, does she come here every night? Yeah, he said. That's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday, I told him. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A cute smile slowly crossed his chubby cheeks, and he answered with measured delight. That's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, Hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes' birthday. 
This guy wants us to go in with him and throw a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room all bright and smiley. She said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who is really nice and kind, and, and nobody does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told them, if it's okay with you, I'll get here, back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and had made a sign out of big sheets of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking pretty good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. <laughs> it was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy Birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then, when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. Then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I... I mean, is it okay if I kind of, what I want to ask you is, is it, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, sure, it's okay if you want to keep the cake. Keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail, walked slowly toward the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. 
I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? He was new at his school. His family was new to town. His dad had taken a new job that had moved them halfway across the country. He didn't know a single person. They didn't know him. He didn't know how he was supposed to dress, what people liked to eat, what kinds of words they used, what games they played on the playground, whom he should say hi to, whom he should avoid. He was stepping into a new world, one almost totally unknown to him. And he was totally unknown to them as well. Have you had that experience? Walking into a totally new place, a new community? Maybe it was when you went to college. That was my story. One August morning in 1975, my parents said goodbye to me as they went to work. I drove away on an eight-hour trip to Waco, a place where I knew exactly two people. Maybe for you it was a new workplace, a place where you knew no one and weren't even sure what your job duties would be. When people we don't know walk through the doors of our church, that's how they feel. We're called to do everything we can to do something about that. That's what the wise men were doing for Jesus. What if, as we celebrate Epiphany this year, we followed the example of those wise men? What if we discovered what it looks like to offer our deepest devotion, to pay homage to, proskuneo, giving our very hearts to Christ? What if we discover that at least part of what that looks like is offering a deeper welcome to others? Embracing those both inside and outside these walls, not just in the abstract, but in the actions we take, the conversations that we have, the true embrace of people in their wholeness, their identity, their ideas, their thoughts and dreams. What would that look like? May God give us the grace, the courage, and the perseverance to make that so. One conversation at a time. One relationship at a time. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are here without a doubt this morning. God, you are indwelling 
our relationships. God, you are indwelling our hearts. And God, those are not really two different things. Help us to mold them into one. As you mold all of us into one. As you prayed in the garden. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.